Well, this morning, are you ready for Christmas? <laughs> yes. Are you ready for Christmas? Have you heard that yet? <laughs> well, um, are the children staying up? I think. Okay. We'll just, uh, I will, <laughs> when the bath starts, I'll quit. So, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Time to quit. <laughs> just like that was timed, I think. <laughs> so, well, let's read in uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through verse, I believe it's 17. And this is the Christmas story. And I'm reading it out of the King James Version because. I think of it as something that we identify with. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, what's that? Oh, yeah. That's all right. It's she bought them, you know. <laughs> and I said, you're not going to give them before the church, are you? Oh, <laughs> <But>, yeah. <laughs> it did. <laughs> But, you know, that's, what's, that's, what, that, that's the unique thing, um, that there are no interruptions, only divine appointments. And uh, in our lives, you know, we've got to be able to go with the flow, be able to um, recognize that God is in the little things. You know, uh, you may forget what I preach about, but you'll never forget how you felt about seeing the kids. You, may, you know, all these things about Christmas and being ready for Christmas, you're creating an atmosphere. You're not, you're not having presents. You know, presents are part of it and whatever, and they can be a major part or a small part, but it's really the atmosphere that we create. And, and I think with church and our revelation of Christ to us is the atmosphere that he creates in our life. An atmosphere of expectation, of peace, of, of knowing that God is there. And where God is, there is an expectation. See, if we were to preach about revival or preach about healing or about accomplishing something or going into ministry or getting a new job and, and all these things, what do we have? We have an expectation. And that's what God gives to us is an expectation and nowhere do we see this greater than in the Old Testament where these prophets foretold. 720 years before it happened, Isaiah is talking about a virgin conceiving and, and, and other prophets talking about Bethlehem and where the Christ child, the Messiah, would be born. They set up these expectations. Some people, you know, I don't like to expect too much, then I don't get disappointed. <laughs> okay? We don't, I don't do that. God is our Father, and he has set before us expectations. And yes, we have been disappointed, but you know what? Life isn't over, because you're still here. <laughs> and 
the expectation that we have in our life is one that God is at work, and who's to say that what you were expecting and it didn't happen wasn't for that place in time. It's for now or for what is in the immediate future. So we set up an expectation, and God says, in your expectation, we call it faith. We expect to get better <laughs> from the surgery. We expect to get better. And the expectation, and so what we do then is we pray towards that expectation. And, you know, there have been numerous things that happen in our life and over the years and people and circumstances and all those things that have hurt our expectations. But you see how we put those expectations in connection with people and they failed. But when we place those expectations in relationship to God, they will always succeed. It may not be to the point that you think or have it planned, but God will bring about an expectation in your heart and your life because he's the one that gave the dreams in the first place. He's the one who puts together that mind of yours. <laughs> I know it's scattered, so you can't blame him for that, but he did have it together, you know. And he, he put within us the abilities and the desires of our heart. And so if our desires then align with the expectation of what we find in God's Word, I like the idea that we talked about in Sunday school, that when you read the Scriptures, you come up with a character. This is an outline of a person. And then you meet Jesus by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. And the revelation of Christ to us matches exactly what is written of his character in the scripture. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples because of the relationship that we have with Christ and how that Christ has that relationship with us. And so in that relationship, we have an expectation that God has promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So when we feel in our relationships that we've been let down or lost, we need to remember God didn't leave us down. And he didn't lose us. We're not lost. He knows exactly where we're at. And so God is at work in all these circumstances and all these places, and he wants to give us a voice. He wants to give us a voice. And the voice that we have isn't just, uh, just it's more than just what we say. The voice that we have is in how that we love and extend our love and our friendship and extend our generosity and extend the things that are good in our life. Well, you know, I've been good to some people and they abused it. Okay. What do you want, a medal? <laughs> Jesus gave his love for people and they denied him. You know, it's life. It's people. People fail. God doesn't. But you see, in our giving and the people who hurt us, that wasn't God. It causes us to place, and, and sometimes it causes us to not trust anyone. In reality, it should cause us to trust more in God. And in how the God is leading us and helping us deal with the hurts of our life. And the expectation of our life is that I will be a complete, I am a complete person in Christ. I am, I am made whole in the, in the image of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm perfect, but I'm going towards that goal. Well, you say, well, that's a pretty hard goal, isn't it? We want to be perfect. Well, let's try and be imperfect. 
<laughs> let's, let's, go, let's have a goal of imperfection. <laughs> you know, let's set that up there. Let's, let's try and fail. Yeah, we can hit that every day. And what do we end up with? <laughs> a lot of failures. All right, so back to where I was at before I was rudely interrupted by the bar. <laughs> Never rudely interrupted. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to go. <laughs> bah. There we go. See, on cue. All right. So we're reading about Mary and Joseph being in, uh, in Bethlehem. You know, one of the things, um, my little highlights of my scripture that I, that I was going to come back to, but I'll, since I'm here, I might as well preach on it, that in the fullness of time, you know, there was a plan for Mary and Joseph. And sometimes we think that people can interrupt God's plan for our life. And I want to tell you, no one can interrupt God's plan for your life but you, me. Because Jesus needed to be born in Bethlehem. And his family, mother and father, are in Nazareth. And they need to get to Bethlehem because the scriptures say he shall be born in Bethlehem. But Mary and Joseph didn't know the whole thing. They were just waiting out. Mary took these things and she pondered them in her heart. And she, you know, can you imagine, can you imagine trying to convince people that you're still a virgin and that God came upon you and the promise he gave to you he was going to have a child and the child that is, born, that is in your womb is a holy thing of God? They just stoned her. <laughs> so Mary just kept her silence and allowed God to do the work in her life and in her husband's life, Joseph. And they were not in the right place for the Messiah to be born. And so a governor, an ungodly Roman ruler and governor, made a decision to have taxes, and they had to leave their town when she is about to give birth. They had to leave that place and go to Bethlehem because of an ungodly man making an ungodly tax upon his people. <laughs> but it was exactly where Mary and Joseph needed to be. Sometimes we get so upset with life, we forget to understand maybe God has us there for a purpose. Well, anyhow, they are to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I, my, you know, sometimes I'm the skeptic. <laughs> Why now? Why is the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, why is it so important that he be born in a stable? Here's the guy in John 1, Genesis 1, spoke the world into existence, made everything in the world, and there was no place in that place of creation for him to be born, except in a barn and put in a feed trough. You see, no one can say they are not. God has come to, to, no matter who we are in life, no matter what station we feel ourselves in, the lowest of servants, Jesus was born in this place, Bethlehem, in a stable, in a hollowed out cave, in, under, in, underneath the rocks or a cliff, and back in that, underneath that little cliff is a stable where the animals are at, and that's where Jesus was born. 
And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. (laughs) Swaddling clothes are rags, strips of cloth. So it's possible that these are the rags or the strips of cloth that they found in the barn and they wrapped this newborn baby in these strips of rags because there was no room for him in the inn. So here he is, king of kings, lord of lords. The angels bow down before him. He speaks the world into existence, knows the stars and the solar systems, and does not think it beneath him to be born in a manger. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. He who is the great shepherd of the flock is now going to make the first announcement. The angels are going to make their first announcement that the Messiah is born, and they're going to make it to shepherds. And one of the things that is interesting that these shepherds, these shepherds are not just ordinary shepherds. They are shepherds of the sheep that were used in the temple sacrifices. So Jesus, the announcement of the angel came to the shepherds who were shepherding the sheep that would be used in the sacrifice, be the sacrificial lambs that the people would have and buy and purchase so that they could be slain for their sin. And lo, the angel came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. So this divine announcement comes by angels, and it suddenly, and the Message Bible says, suddenly God's angels stood among them. You know, we always have the idea of pictures of the angels up here, shining down, all sore afraid, you know. Well, the angels were not looking down, the angels are standing next to them. What would you do if you just blinked your eyes and right in front of you was standing an angel? And the angel says, don't be afraid. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you go sit by somebody else? <laughs> you know? You know? Go, go, go talk to my neighbor. He needs you more than I do. Please, you know, go over there. And the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. The, the challenge for us is to see the goodwill toward men. The goodwill. <laughs> goodwill. Goodwill. Yeah, that's a truck up at the mall. <laughs> goodwill. And have you been ready for Christmas? Are you ready? How many are ready for Christmas? Yes. <laughs> you have all your presents bought for others, or are you just ready to get them? Yeah. <laughs> you see, what happens at Christmas is, how many have heard the words, ready for Christmas? Yeah. You got all your things baked and pushed in. Well, it seems like everywhere you go, you might hear that phrase, ready for Christmas whether it's at the grocery store or at the bank or friends that you meet in the neighborhood or, you know, are you ready for Christmas? And uh, I think the answer to the question really depends on what do you mean by ready? (laughs) 
Uh, is your house decorated? Yeah, we got that. Did you buy all your presents? Am I supposed to? <laughs> what is it that you said you wanted again, dear? I know, she wants a sweeper and a mop and a bucket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's that? New tractor, that's what she means. Yeah. Yeah, no thank you. You, you see how we get this all mixed up? Well, are you ready? You know, like, you, you, ladies, did you go to the Home Depot or Lowe's to buy the tool for your husband? Well, then why don't we do the same thing for our wives? Buy them sweepers and, you know, <laughs> dish rags and, yeah, you know, cleaning supplies, you know. Somehow that just doesn't balance out, you know. Well, how, what do you mean by ready? <laughs> well, and the real question should be, are we ready for Jesus? <laughs> are we ready for Jesus? Now that puts the idea of being ready in a whole different perspective for Christmas. Are you ready for Jesus? John the Baptist, he says, he was here to get God's people ready to meet Jesus. So here's what Matthew had to say about it. He says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He is a voice calling in the desert. He's saying, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. So there is this ready for Jesus. Not ready for the babe in the manger, ready for Jesus. <laughs> you know, ready for, to meet with Christ. And I heard the story of a guy, he was a preacher, and he was in a, par he was in a, a parking lot, and he was having a heart attack, and he's laying on the ground. And this is his story, and he's telling the story, God, I've been so good. Why would I die in a parking lot where, what's wrong with you? What's wrong, you know, and, and where are you at? And, you know, there's nobody around, and he's laying there believing that he is dying, and he had this impression that, are you ready to meet me? Well, well, no, I'm, you know, I don't want to, I'm ready, but I don't want to go just now, you know. And he said, well, are you ready for me to heal you? Are you ready for me, are you ready to meet me? And in reality, the impression was, you need to be both. We need to be both. And I, I think of ready. I am ready to go home to heaven. Why? Because I've, as John the Baptist, repent, repent, allow Christ into our heart and life. We're ready out there. But you know what? If we're ready out there, we don't need to be afraid of ready for right now. Because in this moment... I'm ready to meet with Jesus. And if I'm ready to meet with Jesus right now, what do you think he wants me to do? What do you think he wants, you know, am I ready to meet him? I, I'm ready, I meet him now. What do you think Jesus would say to us? What do you think the angel would say sits down beside you? I'd, if you were closer, I'd just jump over here and sit down. I'd be the angel that showed up, but you know it wouldn't be an angel. But uh, we would be, we would, whoa, what does he want? And he wants to bring to us good news that we can share. So being ready for Jesus is that I am ready to hear his words to my mind and my heart that says, I've got some good news for you, David. I'm with you. 
I'm not just behind you, I'm with you. I'm not just someone who is about you, I'm here to help you. I'm here to empower you. So are we ready for Jesus to come into our life and say, hey David, let's go get this. Let's go do this. Let's give love to somebody who doesn't feel loved. Yes. <laughs> Let's give love to somebody who's an old, bitter, indifferent, agnostic, a person who has no time for anyone else. Let's go love them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are we ready? See? Well, there's a poem, Ready for Christmas. Ready for Christmas, she said with a sigh as she gave a last touch to the gifts that are piled high. Then wearily sat for a moment and read, till soon, very soon, she nodded her head. Then quietly spoke in a voice in her dream, Ready for Christmas? What do you mean? She woke with a start and a cry of despair, There's so little time, and I've still to prepare. Oh, Father, forgive me. I see what you mean. Yes, more than giving of gifts and a tree, it's a heart swept clean that you want to see. A heart that is free from bitterness and sin. So be ready for Christmas. Be ready for him. And we need to give voice to our ready. And that Christ is the reason for our season. No matter what anybody says, no matter what anyone does, no matter what they may say, newspapers and schools and constitutions, we must be ready to speak his name and give him peace. But you see, there are people who can use your gift to their life. You have a gift. It's called a smile. It's called a touch. It's called friendship. It's called encouragement. There are drives for toys and toys for tots and there are Goodwill and there are Salvation Army and there are all these places and they are very important and we need to be involved in those types of giving. But you know, there may be a person sitting at a booth in a restaurant trying to count enough pennies to pay their bill and you would look at that and say, I need to give. There may be a child who is behind you in line and wanting to buy a present for someone and they pull out their dollar and put it on the thing and they want to buy a special present and you buy it for them to give it to someone. You see, giving to those who don't know you, those who would not be able to repay, we are giving something of us so that we can, in order to give something, we have to let loose of something. In order to receive good, we have to give good. To receive gifts, we got, you know, I, I, Rhonda was at the post office, and we mailed out about 150 cards or something, 120 cards. Anyhow, we, we, we were there, and a lady come up to her and said, do you, do you, you're going you're gonna, to, those Christmas cards. It's like she had to defend herself. Yeah, why? <laughs> I didn't know anybody sent Christmas cards anymore. 
you know, and she has this whole stack. And I, and I said, I didn't, I wasn't there. And I said, well, did you ask her if she got any cards? <laughs> and she probably would have said, no, I don't get cards. How many did you send? <laughs> you see, we can't get back what we don't give. So give of what you have. You know, it isn't selling the house and, you know, if there was this, this is uh, old uh, a guy from the hills of West Virginia, Virginia, some hills somewhere, Rocky Mountains. And he and his wife and kids were going to see the big city. So he walks into this big department store, this high rise, and he, you know, they were quite intrigued with this wall, and the doors would open up and close, and the guy's standing there with his son, and this older lady walks up and pushes the button, and she gets in, and the door is closed, and a few moments later, it opens, and out steps this beautiful woman. They didn't know what to make of it, but he says, go get your mother. <laughs> That's not a Christmas story. But uh, <laughs> there are gifts that we have that are worth giving. And there's, if, if any, do any of you watch The Voice on TV? Yeah. Yeah, I watch it. And the guy, Jonathan Smith, Jordan Smith, excuse me, <laughs> Jordan Smith, he, um, he, was, he was the winner this year. Well, Jordan Smith goes to Tennessee's Lee University, which is the place where Cliff and Nancy's niece, Tammy, Tammy graduated from there. And um, it was there, and, if, you know, he has this, uh, if you'd have to watch it from the very beginning to the, the different series of things. But in my estimation, he, he chose the totally wrong coach, you know. You know, he, told, he took the guy who is tattooed and probably has less knowledge of spiritual things than anyone on the whole group of four. But you know what? I think, he, you know, I go back there and I watched it the other day. And he says, I have to go with my heart. This is Jordan. I have to go with my heart. And I want to, I choose, what's his name? Adam. Adam. I choose Adam. And I thought, boy, that was a big mistake. <laughs> but, and, and many have said in what we've read or whatever, glimpses of things, that Adam was very touched by the spirituality of Jordan. So here's a kid, 22. Here's a guy wanting to win a million dollars and have a contract to sing, and he chooses someone that he finds in his heart, not necessarily the one that he would think would make him number one. But he, he did what he felt in his heart, and he did what, in, in the little glimpses of what I've heard and read, he did this almost as a witness to Adam, not as a way to win. But you see, whenever you do what is a witness of what your giftings are to other people, you accomplish what you want. And so as we follow Christ, we have this understanding of what we want, but really what we have to do is learn how to give in order to receive what we want. And this is uh, Jordan singing his song that won that night on The Voice. Yeah. 
in music theory. He said when he was sitting, when he was sitting in music theory class, he dreamed of being good at what he did. You see, and that's what I think Christmas is about. There are so many giftings that God has placed in each of us, and we just don't realize them until we put ourselves in a place where we can give them. And whenever we give them, we find that those gifts continue to just snowball and multiply. And so here's a young man that's probably sang in churches and sang in college classes and gone on tour and even sang before the Pope. But now, you know, he had to train. He had to practice. You love to practice, right? The piano. Yeah, because like that, with his eyebrows. Well, but the practice, without the practice, without the theory, without all these other things, that doesn't happen. And in our life, we're practicing our faith. And sometimes we fail. But it's God doesn't fail us. Because in our failures, he still loves us because love never dies. Father, we thank you for this very special Christmas season, this very special place in our life that you touch us. You come and reveal yourself. And as the song said, Mary, did you know that when you kiss your little baby boy, you kiss the face of God? God, I pray that in our life that whenever we do the little things that we do or major things that we do, it is the hand of God touching a life of someone who is near us. And we thank you, Lord, that you touch our hearts, change our spirits. Lord, let us be ready for Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's over. <laughs>